Made for the W is like a platform um, that specializes in marketing um, and media and editorial elevation um, and to be able to partner with different brands to elevate women in sports and sneaker culture. Uh, we're a big storytelling platform. So we like to humanize um, these experiences and make you feel connected to the women who are doing the work and also just make room for opportunities for them to, you know, to come on and connect with larger entities. Like just the way the doors are open for us, I feel like MADE has been uh, a hub in being able to do that for all our creatives and our contributors, whether they're writers, videographers, um, photographers, it's, it's been infinite. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Scholarships. My name is Larry Alexander, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tone Gaines. Uh, if you're a repeat listener, you know, as always, thank you for continuing uh, to tap in. And if you're a first-time listener, uh, we hope that this is not your last time checking in. In this episode, we sit down with friend of the show, Simran Kalika, who is the co-founder of Made for the W, which is a digital platform elevating the parallel powers of women's sports, lifestyle, and sneaker culture. In this episode, we talk to Sim about her personal and professional journey. We talk about the events that have had a profound uh, impact uh, on her life. And we talk about her vision for Made for the W. But yeah, this is one of our best conversations to date uh, because it's so raw and authentic. Uh, and I really just want to thank Sim for showing up in that way. You know, so with that, I'll kick it over to Tone. Yeah, so Sim, Sim City, Simran Kaleka, Kaleka, right? Yep, Simran Kalika. Simran. Yes. Simran. Oh, really? Y'all, y'all butchered my name for years, and I just Simran. let y'all rock because yeah, you I got did. tired of correcting y'all. You let us rock. That's why I just said Sim. Yeah. Sim. Yeah. I always yeah. called you Sim City, so I never really thought about it, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you can, just talk about like growing up and walk us through like your educational journey from, you know, elementary to where you are now. Um. All right. Well. Yep. Raising Racine, um, family between Milwaukee Racine and Chicago. Um, basketball was a staple. Uh, Racine is the home of, you know, Karan Butler. Um, mm-hmm. So grew up with his brother. And that was really at the hub of a lot of things that I did. So I went to Winpoint for elementary. I mean, you guys are from Milwaukee, so you probably don't know. Um, I went to Kinley for middle school. Um, that's why I knew Rob. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I went to St. Catharines High School, uh, which is also a big basketball high school. Yeah. My parents are immigrants. They came here to the States over 40 years ago. So from what was at home, like from the dialect to the food, to the culture, to the custom, to just how we moved. And then when you go out into the world, it's entirely different. And it felt like a burden then, but I think now I can see that it was a blessing and it gave me the balance to be able to move in between worlds. Um, so um, my parents are from Punjab specifically, uh, the Northern part of India. So it gave me an appreciation of knowing how to navigate different worlds, learning about different cultures and backgrounds um, and really pushing me to know that like one hat was never gonna be enough for me to wear um, because there's so much space to cover. There's so much room to grow and I just felt like you're never at the end of the race like you have so much to put on because I had to see my parents really come to a foreign country not know the language have no family and build up something from ground up so that's ultimately all that I know Um, but I think they focus so much on surviving 
and I'm trying to break that cycle to now thrive. And that comes with its own challenges. But I think that's a large part of how I came uh, up until this point and even going to Marquette. So, yeah. What role did uh, education play sort of in your household as you were coming up? Oh, man, that nothing else mattered. It, it didn't matter. Like, you know, what um, activities I was involved in, what sports I played held no weight because for them, it was like education is a hub of all, you know, and I even in India, it's pushed. But when your parents have to leave behind degrees um, and certifications doing well in India and have to come here and start from scratch and those things not be honored, they didn't want us to struggle. So they really pushed the premise of education and doing, um, going above and beyond. Like getting a B was not acceptable in my household. And I was, you know, every kid is different. My older brother, you know, valedictorian of his class, like didn't have to study, just did well. I had to study, like I had to apply myself, you know, and like math and science were never my like niche. I'm an English and history girl. So I uh, really had to like push myself uh, more in certain areas. Um, but it, it, to them, to this day, like they have a construct of what matters, like education matters, your career matters. And even the premise of what career you can do it, a lot of it so much is already decided for you. So I think that's why it's a hard space to navigate as a child of an immigrant who was born and raised here. So that it's becomes tricky, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> what, do you, if you know, like what made them choose Milwaukee because I were racing so I always think about like I know you saw that meme or that gift where it's like like parents choosing where to come and then they choose Wisconsin and it's like this cold like kind of racist low-key place so what, what if you know like what what made them choose uh Wisconsin or in racing um so my uncle uh, my dad's oldest brother um he came first um and he was a veterinarian um and he found an opportunity of another fellow vet um, who was from like the Punjabi Sikh community. And he came and then because of him, like I wanna say 500 people came because everyone who was able to come, you know, and um, you know, was naturalized as a citizen with time uh, was able to bring in other family members. So my uncle was here and he was in Brookfield. Um, so he was in Brookfield and then by default, my other uncles came over, my dad came over. Um, my dad was here before he went and married my mom in Punjab in India. So um, yeah, we had like a core Punjabi community of guests. Like if you know one person, you kind of just gravitate towards that one person and everyone phones a friend, I guess, or family. Um, so there was like a core group of us here, um, like I guess the original Punjabi community and um, like even our original like Sikh temple, it was such a small community back then. It was in this bank over in Midtown. Like, um, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> right over there. Yeah, Midtown like, is definitely, I mean, it's totally different now, but yeah. it was over there. <laughs> oh, you already know. So like that, that's how rooted we were. And it was just in like this small like bank that we would rent out on Sundays. So yeah, that's, that's really what brought um, everyone to Milwaukee and, um, my parents end up moving to Racine um, and uh, when I was in my elementary school. So I went there for, but we're the only family that lived in Racine at that time. The rest of our family was either in like Chicago like, or 
Milwaukee. So we were the only family out there um, because my parents had found uh, they had bought a gas station there. So that was that was the reason that they moved. Interesting. Uh, when it comes to uh, figuring out the college decision, how did you land on uh, Marquette? I didn't land on Marquette. Marquette landed on me. Um, <laughs> my entire family went to Marquette outside of my older brother. Uh, he went to USC. Um, but cousins, like, you know, like when it came to my dad's side, all the Klikas, they went to Marquette. And for that reason, I didn't want to go because I felt like I couldn't really like move around or do what I wanted to do with someone like going to tell my cousin or like having eyes on me, like walking down the street, family honks, like, oh, like, you know, I wanted to get away. Um, so I got accepted into um, Syracuse, I Georgetown, like those are my top two picks. But because I went to St. Cat's for um, high school, they have a direct relationship with the sisters at Marquette. So I got a scholarship even on top of everything else, scholarships, grants, like they were coming in and although I felt like I was ready to fly, um, I'm glad I didn't. And I'm glad that I end ultimately ended up choosing Marquette, um, even though that's not even what I thought I wanted, but because it shaped so much of what was to come. So, and it ended up working out for me because my love for basketball, still being able to stay close to my family, um, you know, connecting with, staying close to my family in Racine and Milwaukee, and just making all these new friends who like tone, you know, being able to have so many um, interlaps and connections amongst each other. I think it was it was a beautiful experience. So it was a win. Just to step back a bit, can you explain like the, I guess, demographics of like your school, like in like elementary to, to high school, just comparatively to like Marquette, right? Because when I went to Marquette, I was, when I was in high school, I always say this, it was, it was only like two white dudes and like one became a Sigma. So like it was... <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like a. I, I didn't. I didn't know what it was like to be the minority in the class, and and I would imagine you being a Punjabi, like that's totally different, right? Like it's a, another layer. So if you could just explain like how it was, I guess transitioning or or the demographics in Racine compared to Marquette. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like Racine and, and as well as Marquette, like Racine in all the classes, I was only. I was the only Indian girls and obviously specifically Punjabi. Um, and there might be like a handful of people from India, maybe in my elementary school, even when I went to middle school, like, and they all felt like we were related or we looked alike, you know, it just like, it was a very small knit community. Um, but there was ample um, majority, I think in all my schools were majority white. And then you would have the diversity of the black community and then even um, the Latino community. And then there would be us like stragglers, you know? And I guess uh, that would account for what is considered a the Asian community, but um, it didn't really change. I felt like from elementary to middle, especially even in high school at St. Cat's, like it's predominantly white. Um, it's a private, you know, it's a private Catholic uh, high school so it you know it, you had to test to get in it, there were athletes there it was because they recruited them you know so essentially it was based off either your your talent on the court or within the classroom so um for me but I grew up in racing so I went to public schools all the way up until high school 
And in public schools, there is a lot more representation, a lot more of a balance. And like, I know people make jokes about Wisconsin as a whole, but like Racine and Milwaukee, like we're there, you know what I'm saying? There's like ample black and brown representation. And I saw that, um, I saw that overall, like in my public school experience, obviously St. Cass was different and it was a more intimate class, you know, classroom number. Um, but when I got to Marquette, I would say my high school experience was very similar to the demographic at Marquette, but on a larger scale, you know, still got to keep like, you know, more intimate classes compared to other universities, but you really had to find your people. And I think that's how we all even stayed connected because if you didn't, you know, like, again, it's what you made it. We really had to hold on to each other for that support and make our own groups and ways and have our own parties and have our own activities to find that space. Um, and I think for me, it's been unique because we live in a world that's really broken down into white spaces and black spaces, right? And when you come from the background that I come from, I think it's it's interesting trying to navigate those spaces because there's never really gonna be a space curated just for me, but you have to find where you feel home at. You have to find those people that see you. And I feel like no matter how much it lacked or people complained about it lacking, I felt like it brought me closer to those who really, you know, to those who really mattered and who were genuine in their attempts at Marquette. So I think the diversity spiel probably stayed consistent throughout. But as I grew up, I think I learned how to use it for my own gain and benefit and understanding like you just got to go where you're valued and where you, you know, where you're heard. So, yeah. So you, you get to Marquette, you're part of EOP. Um, and then you said you chose history and English. Is that was that was, was those your majors? Were those no, your... so my majors were crim law, a double major. In oh, yeah, law. I remember the crim law thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I double major in crim law and sociology with a minor in Africana studies. Okay, and what made yeah. you, uh, I guess, choose those majors? Kind of just growing up in racing and seeing so much and being exposed to a lot. I wanted to be a part of the solution and to be an advocate for those who didn't have a voice or have support. So that's what pushed me to do crim law. Like, and in my mind, in an ideal world, I would have loved to do it on, um, you know, as, as a defense and like to be in support of those who needed it because I saw so many people just get you, like just not even taken into a court, like a rotating door. So I think that's what pushed me to that. Um, I was always interested in the concept of why people are the way they are and what makes them uh, navigate that way, what affected them, what was their story um, and how they got there. And I felt like sociology was such a intimate and interesting way to really learn people um, and understand them from no matter what set of circumstances they come from. And as far as Africana studies, I, I'm a big history buff um, and I love again, learning um, the concept of how things come about. And I feel like no one, especially what we're dealing with now, when it comes to regards to diversification in education, no one really takes the time to learn how civilizations came from the beginning of its, you know, inception to now. So that was something that I was passionate about. So that's what made me chose those three. So tell us about post-college. Like you're out of you're, you're in Milwaukee. Tell tell us what what your first job was or your first move. 
uh, post-college. So my brother was in med school, so they gave the options of, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. And I was like, okay. So I got into law school here in Atlanta, uh, Atlanta John Marshall. And um, they have a really good sports entertainment program. So for me, I'm like, okay, if this is what I'm going to pursue, I want it to be aligned with what I'm passionate about. Like, I don't want it just to be a check mark, just to appease my parents or the masses. So I came here and I would love to say that it was great and it was smooth, but like law school for me was mad depressing. Like it, it, it took a toll on me um, in so many ways. And that's probably because my parents were dealing with a lot of like personal things. They were going through like financial hardship. Um, I was transitioning to a whole new city. When you're in law school, you can't really just work. Um, you don't really have the time or capacity to. So I didn't have like that financial support. And then even in the midst of it, like having personal matters and just trying to navigate all these things away from what I consider to be like my support system. I couldn't just pull up to my parents or I couldn't just, you know, like it was a plane ride home, like in a plane ride or how am I going to get on that plane to even get home um, or get back. And then the shooting happened um, while I was in law school. And that was rough um, because I happened to be in town and I was actually on the way to um, my church, the Sick Temple, Wisconsin. I was, we all happened to be in town and I was on my way to um, there in Oak Creek and I got the call and my entire family was inside. So when I tell you uh, my entire family, like my mom's side and my dad's side. All our cousins were in town. Like, I don't know. I guess maybe the most high kind of like knew that we were, something was about to happen. So we were all there. Like all my cousins who lived out of state, we just happened to be in town. And I think that in a moment in like, I thought to myself as I was driving, cause I forgot my phone at home. I turned around and I got a call um, from one of my friends saying, Hey, where are your parents? There's a shooter uh, in the Gurdwara is what we call our church uh, in the Sikh community. There's a shooter inside. Your uncle's been shot. Your parents are in there. I think everybody's inside. So I'm shaking. I can't drive. Um, my line sister, Monika, which y'all know, she had, she was with me. Uh, she was dressed in her, like I gave her some um, cultural garb to wear. So we were going to church and she was driving and I'm shaking. And they had obviously Howell blocked off and having to walk into a space. Like my, I felt like I couldn't walk, I couldn't breathe because I couldn't call anyone to see what's going on because what if the shooter heard? And, you know, things happen in your life that kind of just changed the entire trajectory of it. That definitely did. Um, my uncle obviously ended up passing away. He was the president of um, the the church, but also the five other ones we lost. Like I grew up with them. They were a part of every little memory in my life. And I struggled with my faith for a long time. Um, and this is in the midst of still being in law school and still living here, but my entire world's crumbling there. Um, so like, obviously, you know, I, I got, the the clearance to kind of just process and I had to plan pick out six caskets and like having to do all these things it's it changes what you value in life and what you put together so um 
Yeah. And I think for me, I was going through the motions. I was doing what I needed to do. But I think after that shooting, it was really traumatizing. Um, National Guard didn't necessarily, we have a custom in our church. You had to take off your shoes and you have to cover your head. And they weren't willing to do it for, you know, their, their actual reasons, which is not a problem. So we had to go in. After losing those we love, we had to go in and clean up blood off the walls and out the carpet and sweep up, you know, glass and pick up, um, you know, bullets. And it, it just, for me, I was like, do I want to ultimately live a life for myself? Like if I'm gone today, what does that look like? What am I leaving behind me? Um, or do I want to do something that fulfills everyone else? So it, it was definitely something that set a new precedent of what it is that I wanted to do and how I even got there because I went into a deep depression. I struggled with my faith. I felt alone. I felt away from everyone. And it was hard for me to be in Atlanta when everything was going on back home. And I, I, I guess, um, dealt with anxiety when it came to death. So it was hard for me to get on a plane or if someone didn't answer a call, my mind would immediately go to like, you know, what's happening. And then right after the shooting, a couple months later, my aunt on my mother's side got diagnosed with ALS. So like, and then right after that, my other aunt, um, they had a, a convenience store in Racine and she got shot while pregnant, while being robbed. So it just like, I couldn't come up for air for anything because I'm here and everything's going on there. And I'm the only girl on both sides of the family. So I felt like I had a duty to like show up, but I didn't ever think at what cost that would be and how I would kind of get drowned in the process. So um, yeah, that was a pivot. But while I was still going through the motions and still trying to make sense of it, um, I did work uh, for CDL Sports, uh, sports agency uh, while I was in law school because you have to intern for, you know, obviously, um, certain credits. And for me, it was like the timing of it. It was like, I want to work in this space. This is what I want to do. But on what level do I want to do? And I want to advocate for the players and I want to do something that elevates them. And it took for that to happen for me to be like, I can't, I can't live a lie because it is so delicate because it's so temporary. I can't live a life that is based on accommodating everybody around you because if I leave today am I leaving at peace with myself um so ultimately yeah that that was my journey honestly uh one thank you for sharing the story I mean that's something I remember you going through that and you mm -hmm. like see me seeing you on on the news and it was weird for me because I was just like I know her like mm -hmm. I know and it was your uncle and I'm like I never met your uncle but like I know her and this actually happened. And, and it's, I, I guess it was a different kind of connection where you see the bass shootings all the time. And there's no like, you know, the saying it's, it never means anything until it touches you. And that was the first time where I'm looking like, yo, no, this is that's Sim. Like I was just with Sim like last year or two years ago, whatever. And like, mm -hmm. she's going through this and it was super random, right? Like it was, uh, it, it just happened out of nowhere and the fact that you were up there it was just it was it was a real moment for me and I, and I always commended you for like getting up there kind of speaking about what happened um 
just it, like holding back everything. And, and it, it was just one of those times where I was just like, damn, I can't believe uh, this actually happened, especially in Wisconsin. I mean, I guess Wisconsin is not like a surprise just because there's hella races everywhere. But um, I just I never saw that come, you know, especially to somebody I, I no one care about. Yeah, no, I agree. I didn't I didn't see it coming either. And I think it's exactly what you said. You never think it's going to be you until it is you, you yeah. know? And I remember being at Summer League working um, two weeks earlier and the Aurora shooting happened. Mm-hmm. And I was able to tweet about it and go about my business, right? Yeah. So sad. And you, you, you watch, the, you watch the, the clips and you read the headlines and you click the clickbait and you're like, man, that's so messed up. And you share whatever you want to share in your story. And you go about your life. But what I realized when it happened to me is that I couldn't go about my life. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have that luxury and it's not something I wish on anyone because I don't wish that upon it, it. You have to be a certain kind of individual to come up out of that in a way where you still know yourself, you know, and, and it sucks because now every time a mass shooting happens, it takes me back to that place and mm-hmm. I can resonate on a level, which I don't want to. And because yeah. it's so common now, I can never escape it. I, I mean, there was a shooter on the loose right in my area the other day. I'm going yeah, to in walk. Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to walk the belt line and police basically trampled me and told me there is a shooter on the loose and to go back in and everyone's supposed to, you know, just shelter in place. And we couldn't go anywhere and everything was gridlocked and all I heard were just police sirens and they're running around the city trying to find them. And for me, it triggered that feeling again. I'm away, right? I don't have any family here. I can't leave my place because you have to shelter in place. And it made me feel that same feeling again. So it's like, it's not something that I could ever just clock out of. And it's connected to me on a deeper level, which I hate, but I also have to understand that it had to be for a bigger purpose that I can understand. But yeah, it brought me back to that same space because yeah. like, I'm just minding my business. And then here I am and he's right there, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A couple blocks down. So it's 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 scary times we're living in and i just wish we could wake up out of it but it doesn't seem to be the case how have you found like the the grit or the the resilience um the perseverance to sort of experience what you experience and to keep uh moving forward uh, i i think i found the grit through knowing that if I'm here another day to tell my story and like if my scars can serve as someone else's armor, it has to be for something bigger, right? Like it has to mean something. Um, but I also recognize in like the best way to find that strength is really allowing your feelings to work through you. I think in brown and black communities, no one teaches us how to process, right? Our parents weren't given necessarily the opportunity to process like all right it happens you keep you keep moving right and even when we went through what we were going through with the shooting and you know the tra- it, it traumatized an entire community like everyone who's there everyone who's connected and you saw the difference between the generations of like our parents generation being like all right it happened let's move on don't cry too much don't feel too much because they weren't allowed that and then we had like youth counselors coming in and people trying to work through, through the pain. And for me, I realized like I don't want to live a life keep in this survival mentality. Like I have to find a way out. And if 
their I couldn't allow their deaths to be in vain. Like it had to be for something bigger. Like because it was so personal. He literally sought us out because of how I look, because of where I come from, you know, because of my faith. Sikhism is the fifth largest religious in the in the world. And I don't even think people around me knew much about it because I think when you come into this space in this world, you have to learn about everyone around you, but no one necessarily took the time to learn you. And I felt that on a personal level because culturally I felt that way, but also personally, because it's like, I'm, I was always expected to show up, to be resilient, to, you know, to overcome. Oh, that's them. She'll be all right. You know? And it made me, I found true strength when I found that my voice was in my vulnerability and to being able to navigate these spaces and be real about the process. Like everyone wants to show the nice part. Everyone wants to talk about the accolades and the accomplishments. And ultimately for me, personally speaking, that is not what has made the journey to who I am today. It's great. It's a great reminder. You know, you're on the right path, but it's those, it's, it's the pit of it all. It's, it's the lows, it's, it's the falls, it's, not knowing who you are in certain moments, I think I found solace when I didn't run from the pain. I didn't run from the confusion. I didn't run from the darkness. Like I faced it head on. I saw it through. I did it through utilizing therapy, journaling, meditation. I feel like there's so many outlets, no matter what your 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 religion or your beliefs are, there's so many things to tap into to make sure you're good because no one's going to do it and life's going to keep happening. So I I had to find a community outside of just expecting people to show up. I had to show up for myself and no one taught us how to do that because we never, we never learned how to show up for anything. We just kept going. So we never really sat and stopped with we never stopped. We never we never really stopped to acknowledge I've come this far. I've gone through all these things where I was just looking like, what do I have to do? What's left? Like, I haven't done enough, you know? And I I think being gentle with yourself and being giving yourself grace in those moments, that's where I found it. I learned to be for myself what I wish we could have been for each other coming up in this space. Man, I, <laughs> I'm telling you, every time we do this, like, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just amazed at the, the, the stories and the conversation that comes out of it. Like for real, like was not expecting that at all, but I'm so grateful that you yeah. um, were willing to share that with us. I mean, cause outside looking in, I'm like, all right, you know, you graduated Marquette and you went to law school and now you're, you know, you're successful, but it's like, there, there were so many more steps and, uh, and grief and, and every and adversity uh, in between, which just makes your story even greater. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy. And and the thing that you endured is like something that is still occurring, right? Like you still have mass shootings, and and for what it's worth, a lot of Americans, I assume, just kind of like like the first time it happened to you, you tweet about it, like oh, this terrible. Um, and I I even I, it's funny because I swear before this I was like, should I ask her about that? But I didn't want to, I guess, get too deep. But in one of your um, your I think they did like a piece ten years later or something. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you were like, you know, every time a mass shooting happens, uh, you don't have the luxury of not being triggered and uh, not to be brought to that same place. And uh, you described that earlier. I guess what helps you like get out of that now where you're like, because I mean, like what this was 
earlier this month or like a couple of weeks ago, you were literally stuck in your house, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's no family. There's no. I mean, you have friends, of course, but like, I guess how were you able to like get out of that space? Because it could be tormented, you know. Because I, I yeah. have the I have the same thing when like my sister called for like years. My my brother uh, was killed. When my sister mm-hmm. would call me, I would legit go down like, oh, somebody's dead. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Like you go down this thing. So what helps you get out of that space when you're when when things like this happen, when you see a mass shooting or even, you know, something more close to home? Well, I have to turn off the news. I really do. Cause it's like the best way to say it is like for them, it's their job. For you, it's your life, right? It's your reality. And they're doing their job, that's fine. But I have to like, I have to disconnect from the, the noise of it all. Um, I felt myself like not being able to like breathe. I don't know whether it was like anxiety attack or panic attack, but I just like started like breathing, like just trying to do like a breathing exercise and like, you know, put on some like, you know, like put on Abbott Elementary, something to, like distract myself from like what's going on, even though it didn't, it wouldn't necessarily last, but like, you exhaust your possibilities, right? There's no right or wrong answer of what works, but like I journaled, right? And like I made something to eat, like, cause I couldn't go anywhere, right? But all I could do is utilize what's here, like put on some music, like trying to distract myself from what it is. And I think it's also hard because I didn't want to be a burden on anyone. So like, I didn't want to call that it and it's worth it. Yeah. That'd be the worst. Cause you're like, oh, I want to call so-and-so, but mm-hmm. they, I don't and know then- if they can hear it, you know? Or I don't yeah. know if they could even relate or like understand where I'm coming from. Yep, exactly. Yeah. It is it is a worse feeling because I'm sure they would be willing to, but you don't want to be that person because you already had to live it and go through it, right? So you're not even trying to make it seem like you're a victim of anything, but it's very much your reality because that's where you're brought to. So I'm just trying to do all the tools I have to like read through it. But I did call my mom. And I, like I told her, and she was just like, "It's okay." Like you know, like I, let me know what happens. It's okay. But like she was busy with whatever she was doing at the moment, right? And that's ultimately that's life, right? Like life still has to go on. People still have to move on in some capacity and do what they have to do. But for me, I'm I'm such a, a empath, and I take on energies, and I so when things happen, they happen to me a hundredfold. I feel it. I feel like the intensity of that said occurrence or emotion on a deeper level whether I want to or not so like I know there's some things that I have to work through that are no one else's burden but I was reminded that day that like I couldn't leave my house but my friends are like everyone started reaching out and it was crazy because people I hadn't talked to in mad long there wasn't any kind of like notification on Facebook to be like stay you're safe from the shooting or anything like that but if you're tapped into the news and you knew what I've been through like people are just like Sam are you good you know, are you all right? Are you safe? And just to be reminded that whether you're connected to people on a daily or not, just like us, we think of each other in those moments because we do remember those times that we were there with it. But ultimately, I think it's just about finding a niche that works for you, somewhere where you feel lighter, somewhere where you feel where you could take your cape off and not have to figure it out. Um and whatever your outlet is, there's so many things. Like I, I went to go take a walk that day, but that was disrupted. So I couldn't do that. But I was like, all right, I could read. I could journal. I could watch a show. Um, I could breathe. I could meditate. Um, I could pray. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different outlets. And I'm not always going to say it's going to be a fix. But mm-hmm. it's 
going to work towards a solution. You'll get there. You know, mm-hmm. it's not an overnight process. I'm still trying to figure it out. So Yeah, I think I saw uh, a meme on Instagram that said, you know, you're with time, your grief doesn't shrink. You just grow around your grief. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of what you're describing to an extent. Yeah. You know, look, there's no, there's really no easy way to pivot from, from that conversation. But I guess there was a time where you just worked in the sports and entertainment space in general. Um, just walk us through sort of after law school, the jobs you held, and then sort of catches up to where you are today. Yeah. So the same uh, agency I interned for while in law school, um, uh, Chris Lucci, he tapped me um, after law school to come on board and help him. So a lot of the logistics were just, um, scouting players, uh, pitching to players, um, dealing with like the all day business transactions and like working through like meeting GMs and owners and coaches and like all our clients were NBA based or overseas. Um, so I was able to learn a lot in that space, like learn the ins and outs. And for a while I thought I was gonna get certified as like a sports agent, like NBA agent, especially. Um, but what I realized working in that space was that you don't get the clearance and the freedom. There's too many loopholes to actively work in the position for the player, right? And a lot of, in this space is so consumed with like everybody needing something from these athletes, but nobody has their best interests in mind. Um, So being in that space long enough, um, and that began in 2013, like being rooted in like the men's sports space, um, that's how Made for the W came about because I was working on this space, like in the agency space. Um, And then my fellow co-founder, Melanie Carter, she was working on like the content space. So she was with Turner and uh, NBA League Pass, NBA TV. So she was directing, uh, producing, and I was over here working on this side. So like we had different elements of the game, but we also knew that we're in a male dominated space and you don't see us. Like you don't see women in sports. Like you know they're there, even for an athlete, right? whether it's the mother, whether it's the wife, whether it's the sister, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, you see women having influence and making moves and decisions on behalf of these men. You don't see us anywhere, you know? And if you don't see us anywhere, how can there be opportunities for us? You don't see a visibility. How could you even know that's what you could do? So we originally started as uh, WNBA Kicks because in our mind, WNBA is one of the most underserved markets, you know? And we really wanted to tap into that. And we understood that there hadn't been a space created for women in sports and sneaker culture because we didn't just want to focus on women in sports. We also understood that, like, I, as you can see, like my love for sneakers and like the nostalgic aspect, they're intertwined. Like, you know how Drake said, like sports and music are synonymous, but sports and sneakers are definitely synonymous. They're rooted with one can't exist without the other. Like they're so intertwined. So we want to create a space that elevated women on both on both realms. And if you were in both, great. But there's so much that was happening behind the scenes. And even growing up, you would see women doing the work, whether it's on the court, whether it's in the neighborhood, that nobody actually elevated. So we created WNBA Kicks, um, to, and that's how we got our foot in the door. And then we eventually transitioned from WNBA Kicks to Made for the W. Um, because we also realized like there was so such a bigger need like yeah WNBA was underserved but really women's sports as a whole is underserved like no one they're not getting the same amount of opportunities obviously not the money 
not you know none of that so once we saw um what i guess made for the w was able to do with this inception in 2018 we were like all right you know we don't have to limit ourselves to this but yeah that's how it came about the the journey from then to where we're trying to keep going forward now yeah i remember you used to post about it all the time and then mm -hmm. i forget what um what athlete like reposted you or there was like a moment where like someone reposted you and then like it just went up do you like what was that moment for you yeah <sighs> it was it was stamped because uh it was honestly like really what solidified it i believe it was Kyrie, uh it was Kyrie irvin and but just for us to even like utilize the space and know we were on the right path um Kyrie was like tapped in from the very beginning and you could see how much of an advocate he is for women's sports on a real level like he's put his, his money up he uses his voice to advocate for them has a love relationship with a lot of them um also D Wade he's another one who like elevated and posted us we got to create content with him and Gabrielle Union um on the you know Marquette Connect um and Kobe um that one hurts uh we we had solidified a relationship with him and even like um, people I came up with in Racine, uh, Janine Williams and Brandon Green, uh, they were out in LA and they ended up becoming a part. They were our contributors and my friends, but they end up becoming a part of his um, Mambasitas like content production team. Um, and we had spoken to Kobe um, to send pe people out there before he agreed. But I knew like, it was different because he was like, no, nah, y'all are too big. And I was like, wait, wait, excuse me. Us, like, made for the W, too big to, like, come cover you, you know, and Gigi and the team, are you serious? And he was like, yeah, y'all too big. He was like, <laughs> you know, he was just like, yeah, we're sorry right now. I'm not trying to have that out there, like, you know, so we don't need everybody in here. And I was just like, oh, I was like, this is different because how does he, out of all people, think we're too big? And then we kept that relationship going and we actually talked to him shortly before he passed. We were getting merch uh, done for like our first drop. And um, he was like, yeah, can you send me and Gigi some merch? And so he like sent over the information and the craziest part, always again, when you think you have time, the merch came, he passed Sunday, the merch arrived to the house on Monday. And it was just like, you know, it was it was a That's surreal, crazy. surreal experience. But yeah, how does it feel to like have something in your head, right, and then it become a thing now that has a following that people respect? Like, how, how what's that feeling like? It's weird. Like, you know, everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh, it feels so crazy, so nice." I'm not gonna give like a sugarcoated answer. Like, super grateful. Um, I feel like imposter syndrome is always at the front because you're just like. It feels weird, right, to know, like, you overcame so many things. And, you know, still having to do it, but, like, to be able to rub elbows and share spaces and cultivate relationships with people you never even thought you would be in the same room with, it's it's pinched me, for real. Like, and I think our biggest pinch me moment of today was probably when we just did our LIDS New Era collab for the first ever women's fitted in history. Um, and we were able to highlight the eight OG WNBA teams. 
And growing up watching Don Stanley and Cheryl Swoops and Lisa Leslie, like, who's also sore, you know what I'm saying? But, like, being able to do that and then actually create something, be a part of the process that took almost two years, you know, the design and, the, you know, like, having to go back and forth and convince them that there is a demand for it, that they're going to do well, like, people are tapped in. To be able to create something like that, to really tip our hats off, like, you know, legit to what they've done for us who grew up watching them. That was a crazy moment because who thinks like who thinks that you can do something like that? Like even coming into the space and having done all these things, I never thought we would be able to create the first, you know, women's fitted in history and then it'd be WNBA fitted for the eight original teams. Like surreal. Especially when they're hitting us up, like Dawn hopped on the live with us. And he was like, they call the Charlotte Sting hat the Sally hat. You know what I'm saying? And it's just crazy. like, it's crazy. And like being able to connect with Lisa Leslie before the hat even came into fruition, but us having these relationships, same with Cheryl Swoops, like that's like the auntie. You know what I'm saying? So like we're so connected with them on a personal level. And to be able to say, hey, thank you. This is for you and all your contributions. It's different. Like it's 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 surreal. It's surreal. So super grateful. Also, like, just want to get a little bit more granular in terms of what your sort of role is day to day, just the type of things you're working on, and and just things like that. So as co-founder, um, Mel and I still wear many hats. Like, yeah, we have contributors, but those are mostly like WNBA season based. So if we're talking on a day to day, having to still um, collaborate on certain like content spiels, still put together pitch deck pitch decks, um, still having to elevate on the digital level. And I I do most of our articles. So like I get to tap into like my writing bag um, to do the editorial elevation. Uh, Mel works on like all our content. So we're really like a two woman like team, which might look way bigger on the outside, um, but it's really us on a day to day wearing every hat uh, imaginable from what that looks like. We finally got someone over social media. So that's been a godsend because that's a full-time job in itself. But yeah, like still wearing all the hats and trying to navigate the balance of that in addition to like what we do personally, what we're doing to build up, you know, our own brands and passions. So yeah. Walk us through uh, like the process of when you're meeting these, like Nike, for instance, or you're, you're, you're collaborating with Liz, like walk us through that process of like preparing for it. Because I think a lot of times, for me at least, I'm like, oh, like for me, like I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet this guy from Nike. This is my dream. Like I think about the kid in me where I'm like, I remember my first Nikes and all these other things. But you gotta step back and be like, no, we're talking business. So how do you, how do you, I guess, prepare for these meetings? Like walk us through that process that you, you and your co-founder go through. Um, so I think you realize working in this space that everybody is like, no matter how much you romanticize it or idealize it, they're all human, like including the brands themselves, you know? And I think that's the beauty of it. Um, we didn't necessarily have to go Nike and like knocking on Nike and Jordan's uh, doors, which is also, again, it's a tribute to our relationships we had, uh, with these WNBA players or in the NBA players, like. They saw us building something from the ground up. No investors, no backing, no large corporations. It's just me and her from our house, you know, from our houses, like from our places. Like 
just doing it, money out of our pocket. Like, and they didn't really necessarily know. And because we never put a face to it for like a long time, for like a couple of years, like it was just its own entity because we didn't want to be the face of it. We wanted to take a life of its own. And um, I think when enough athletes, especially if they're their athletes, you know, are sharing things or like tapped into certain things and we're getting to cover certain moments that are monumental and whether it's a Nike shoe release, you know, or a drop and we're there to cover it or we're there to elevate it. They're like, all right, we need to tap in with them. We need to work with them. And I think originally it was like, whoa, like it's a Nike, it's a Jordan, like look at my collection. Like this is what, you know, this is the moment I've been waiting for. But you, and you get there and it still is as surreal, but you realize again, it's a business right? There's deliverables, there's expectations, there's politics. Um, and there's, and because we're a, a brown and black owned entity with not necessarily anyone to advocate for us in that space, we were navigating these spaces alone. We were advocating for ourselves. We were negotiating for ourselves. It was just me and her figuring it out as we went along. But I feel like because we grew such a organic platform, and we stayed true to what meant something to us, no matter like what was going on around us. I think they appreciated how we did elevate their brands, how we did elevate um, whether it's their, you know, their their clients, um, their projects, their product. And it ended up being, I mean, we still actively work with them to this day. It ended up being something beautiful where we've actually built personal friendships and relationships, but it is being able to separate um, what you grew up thinking it is to actually learning um, the ins and outs and how it goes in this space, especially being a woman in this space, how much more difficult it is to advocate for yourself with large corporations, you know, such as Nike and Jordan, but you do it right and you bet on yourself, you'll, you'll get to see it through. So I know you said like, you know, it's mainly just women's sports and, and, and sneakers. And I guess, like, I, I had a general general question, like, what do you think about, like, the modern day sneakerhead? Like, the, you know, because I, I don't know. I've been trying to get more into sneakers, but, like, these rifles just be kicking my ass. Yeah. No, and, uh, you're not and it's not what it used to be, but I guess, like, what do you think about sneaker culture in general? And, and maybe specifically about, you know, women's sneaker culture. I think it's, like, the stuff that you guys have been doing has been very fresh, right? So if you can, just elaborate. Yeah, um, I think sneaker culture, <laughs> from what I knew it growing up um, to what it's become, I think it's even aligned with like women's sports in that sense. Is like, I think it's important for people to invest in it who are actually passionate about it, not for it to be a tagline, not because it's popping, not because that's the right thing to do or the train to jump on. It's the fact of do you really care about, you know, the, the stories behind these sneakers? Do you care uh, care about the nostalgic aspect? Do you care about people who really, like, live and breathe and do this stuff, who have been doing this since they were kids? Um, I feel like the game has got really, like, saturated. I'll say that. Like, And, you know, big ups to entities because, I mean, I know people at StockX and GOAT, and they're just doing what we've been doing, you know, in neighborhoods growing up on a larger scale. So that's brilliant, right? But like the resale game, the bots, it's it's such it should never be this much of a task 
to want to fight sneakers every release. Like, you know, and I've talked to people who've been at Nike or been over sneakers like, oh, like, this app does not mess with me. And, like, I work with you guys. Even people who work for Nike and Jordan, they have to go through the app. You know what I'm saying? So That's it's not nice. always just an easy, like, live. Like, you got it. They, they go through it, too. So I think from what the essence of the core of sneaker culture is, I think it was beautiful. I wish we could get back to more so that organic approach, being able to pull up in the morning of a release. And I remember working at Chance and being on the inside of that, you know, of the gate and being able to let everybody in. You basically go to the mall, you're guaranteed a pair. Whether you go to Foot Locker, Jam, Finish Line, you're going to get something. Mm -hmm. And now it's it's a different ballgame. I can't even... I can't say I'm a fan of it. I, I love that people are tapped into sneakers. I love that sneakers have so much, so much more of a space and that means something to everybody. Um, but I, I wish it less space for those who it mattered to on a, on a different level beyond reselling or, you know, just to, to put on. So, yeah, those are my thoughts about what, you know, uh, it's become now nowadays sneaker culture. Yeah, and we just witnessed um, not too long ago LSU versus Iowa, right? And that was like one of the games where, I mean, it, it had the most views in women's sports ever, maybe mm-hmm. or something. It was up there, and I yeah. and I know I tapped in just because, like, you know, I was a big fan of LSU and just what they were they were about. I also loved how Caitlin Clark was just um, pulling up for like. I don't know. That was some of the highlights I would watch over the years would just be her pulling up from like half or close to half. And I guess, where do you, what do you think about where women's sports is now and how you think it's going to progress or what do you see in like five to 10 years? I love it. I love it. I mean, in the same aspect of like everyone's tapped into sneakers, good, bad, and different. They're tapped in, they're paying attention. Same with women's sports. Like, and I love that it's, gone beyond the concept of WNBA. We're talking high school, we're talking college. Like they you I believe they had like the highest attendance in viewership. And to be able to see Angel, you know what I'm saying? And on a larger scale, like other people tapping like from, you know, other sponsorships from like what she wears and whether it's her hair, whether it's like people really knowing like there's a space, there's a market to for these women to wear your products, whether, you know, like on a different level and go play ball. I think that's amazing. And Clayton, Kayla Clark's easy, right? So like, I remember being, I, my co-founder was supposed to be in Dallas for women's final four. Cause I had to be in Houston for men's final four. They're at the same time. So we're in the lobby watching the game and just we're in the lobby. So like Gary Payton's right over there. Like, all like these OGs are just standing around and we're all just watching on this big old TV in the lobby of like the back and forth of it. I was going for LSU too. I was I was yeah. tight. So yeah. uh if it wasn't South Carolina LSU, you know, I was I was rooting I was rooting for us in a capacity. So but it, I mean it was amazing to see. Never would you have thought years ago where there's a big old crowd of people just watching it off this little hotel TV. And you're standing along with like NBA legends and greats and where actual men's final four is going on. But all these men are tapped in to watch these women go at it. Crazy. Like, I, I, I feel like we're only just getting started. Um, and I'm, I'm loving the traction that's in the life that it's taken on of its own. It's, it's beautiful to see and to know that we're not limiting it just professional sports. We're actually tapping into 
college and even high school, like even what Nike does with EYBL, like it's just tournament based AU, like really an investment to see women excel in sports on a larger basis and giving like younger women that same space and dedication that we give men. Right. Cause it used to be like, when you want to watch good basketball, you just, you put on the NBA game, right? That's the case. And then when it's a WNBA game, it's like, Oh, it's a WNBA. We don't want to watch it. Now I feel like we're in living, uh, living in a world where it's like, Oh, like this game is crazy. We're not, you know, it's no longer about like, Oh, WNBA wag. This and another. Cause they could do they play ball and they'll bust some of these people in the NBA, you know, like they'll, they'll get down. So like, for me, it's beautiful to be able to see men like be true allies and support in this space, the conversations, how they talk about it. It's no longer a running joke. You know what I'm saying? It's no longer like, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to watch it or, you know, this and the other. Like, And I felt so honored to have been part of the humanizing process for you, people to feel connected to these women or you learn something about them outside of like the stereotypes that are perpetuated all the time. Um, so yeah, I I think it's it's up. And I think it's gonna be fun to watch. Obviously, you mentioned that you guys have had um a lot of success so far. And you have good momentum. Where exactly do you want to take this thing? Like, what's the what's the vision for me for the W uh, over the long term? To the extent um, you can share, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the extent I can share, uh, I feel overall, um, what made has shown us is that we're connected to the sports and creative space on so many levels, right? Like someone can hit me up and say, hey, Sim, I need an agent, you know, who plays ball. Like, so someone who plays basketball, Sim, I need an agent, or Sim, I need a stylist, or Sim, um, I need a manager. Sim, like constantly, like I have the contacts for all these people. But like the goal is, I think Maid was able to show that there's room for everybody to eat, which I've always been a firm believer in. Like, I don't block anyone's blessings. I don't gatekeep. If I could throw a lob, I'm going to do it. Um, because what's for you is for you. And I'm really big on using using where you are to help bring other people along, whether it, I don't care if it benefits me or not. And I realize like what May's been able to do on like on the marketing end, as well as media, and even creating experiences. I think that's where we're headed towards now. Of Like, we're going to continue the elevation. We're going to continue telling these stories. We're going to continue producing the content and making these connections for people to be able to tap into, but also cultivating experiences. We were able to have um, a party here for the lids drop. And it was because we had to push ourselves. Like, we don't celebrate these moments for ourselves at all. Like we just do these things and we keep it moving, right? It's expected of us. So we never stop and like, you know, revel in like what we've created. So we had just, it was nothing commercial, just had people from the community, from this space pull up. And it felt like a function, like a college function, like how it was, you know, like our house parties at Marquette. Like it took me back to an era where life was carefree, where you kind of just felt joy, you felt ease. And I think where Maid's heading now is being able to create experiences where people leave feeling good, where they are able to connect. I'm able to connect like you and you, you guys should collab and meet up and create something. So I think um, the goal is to obviously keep building Maid, um, but 
trying to uh, transition over into like an overall umbrella um, agency space. I don't, I don't know if I want to limit it with that name, but being able to utilize all the contacts I do have, all the people I do send business to, I have a Rolodex. So why not create something at the core that everybody eats? I can, you know, like if there's someone wanting to hop on the podcast and it was a fit, I could say, hey, I got scholarships over here. You should hit up Larry and Tone. Like, I feel like if we're not helping each other um, extend those opportunities, like what are we doing it for? So now the goal is to kind of create a space where it centralizes contacts, it centralizes all the different hats I do wear. I don't want to box myself in on anything. And I feel like there's so many cool things to get into um, and to create that space and obviously still keep made marketing, media, but taking other things under the umbrella and being able to just like outsource, well, not have to outsource because I have these contacts and no matter where they're sitting in the world, they can work, they can do what they do. And I'm just the middle woman. I'm, I'm the connecting piece. So I think that's, that's the next move. Speak to us about the importance of protecting your brand. Like, I think mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of times some, so you hear about all these partnerships that go south or like people, you know, it just doesn't mesh, right? And I think you guys have done a great job at just protecting what you're about. So talk us through the process of like picking something that's right for your brand or wrong or, you know, what have you. I think protecting your brand is just as big as protecting yourself on a personal level. Like um, it's so easy to get caught up in, especially working in the sports and the entertainment realm and the lights, the camera, the action. It's so easy to get caught up in the noise of, you know, we live in a world of um, instant gratification, right? Needing validation, just wanting things to look good. And for us, it's crazy because we were able to create Made, and after Made came Highlight Her and W Slam and all these larger corporations with money off of space that wasn't tapped into until we came. We came first, and they'll even acknowledge it. But it's like protecting your peace and guarding your energy. You got to do it personally. You definitely got to do it for your brand because if you don't do that, you're going to lose essence of what you did this for. Like, I feel like what makes made special is that we evolved absolutely we expanded for sure but we never switched up to what we felt um was important to us I'm all about growth right but I'm never about just diminishing your actual core of like why you do what you do and we had to hold steadfast to that to realize that we can't get lost. We can't get too deflated or too discouraged of what was going around around us because this is what made made special. Like it's because it's me and her. Like we built this, and we're a walking representation that you don't gotta, you don't have to live it. Like be at these large companies to make a difference, right? Like like Marquette says, right? Be the difference, and like we actually had to live that and be that, and constantly remind ourselves that we're doing this for a bigger purpose and for the young women and the girls who like follow the page and like oh my god like you know you're made for the w and um seeing the doors that's open for even our women contributors the play the jobs that they've been able to get like just being able to see them it'd be a full circle moment um but had we not protected our brand had we not 
decline certain opportunities. I don't care how big the check amount is. If it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't fit, we're not going to do it. Like if it doesn't feel right, can't act on it. Um, and that we've never wavered on that. And I think in the end, it benefits us every time because I am big on intentionality and alignment and purpose. And if those things aren't there, you can't force it, you know? Um, we wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation today if there wasn't some form of intersectionality. And I feel that that is where we're at and that's what makes made that. So um, you got to protect it by any means. Like it, because whether it works out or doesn't work out, you know that you saw something all the way through. And I think there's nothing bigger than follow through, right? Consistency, follow through, and to make sure that what you started off with um you stayed aligned with that because there are people watching and people looking to, they, they connect with something. It's not you, it's so much bigger than you. So keeping that in mind. That's actually a, a good segue into the next question, which, um, you know, since the brand is fairly new or like not that new, but it's, it's fairly new and it's such a new space, who do you and your team lean on when you're like, I don't know, just trying to figure out what's next or what to what what uh, pivot you're going to take next? Who, who do you guys lean on? <sighs> yeah, me and her were just talking about that yesterday. Um, we lean on each other for sure. But when it's so heavy that like I can't be strong enough for her, she can't be strong enough for me, I think we really lean into our faith um, and what kind of keeps us going on a larger scale because we are firm believers that like nothing that was ever taken or denied from us wasn't for a bigger role, right? Like the whole phrase of, you know, God's rejection is redirection. And I feel like our journey has been that. So even when we get deflated or discouraged, we have to remind ourselves that nothing has been taken from us without it being replaced with something that was aligned with us. So it's not always about better, right? But it's about alignment, what works for us. So we've leaned on our faith for sure. Um, I, I told you guys, like I've leaned into like, having therapy sessions, journaling, like having some kind of outlet, but family, you know what I'm saying? Like, and for me, my parents aren't here um, with me, but like I come, I fly back, you know, back and forth often. Um, and her parents are here. She's born and raised from here. So like leaning into our family, especially in our parents, as they get older, I feel like that generation has a lot of wisdom to bestow upon us, but there's beauty in the balance between that generation and us. And I think if you can find, you know, the the takeaways that you need from from both aspects, it it's a game changer. Um, and then also just the the sisterhood and the community within, um, whether it's you know, AKA um, friendships. I feel like your your friends are family in human form, you know, and they have held me up and picked me up and put me back, helped me put myself back together. So friendships for sure. And even sisterhood within the sports and sneaker community, like got to meet so many good women and men in this space, like just friendships who are actually like, who get what we're going through, who have the same kind of struggles and you don't feel as alone. Like you sit in a room, you're like, you went through that too? Same person, same thing. So like, and you also realize there's power in, in numbers and I'm all about, collaboration over competition any day. So um, I think leaning on all those aspects gets you through, but even leaning on yourself, like learning yourself truly, like 
I think that is such a hard thing to do. I don't think it's a, I think it's never ending. Uh, the work continues, but um, it's, you have to learn what it is that you need, who you are, and what things kind of take away from that and pay attention to those things to not give it as much investment or tick and lean into kind of the things that give you more fulfillment and joy. Cause like, I want to wake up every day and like, even if it's driving me crazy or I have a deadline or I'm drained, I still want to love what I do. And I think ultimately you have to stay true to yourself or know that you're forever changing um, and adapting with that change of like, is my life a reflection? Is it aligned with who I am and what moves me? Cause you never really want to be doing one thing and it not be, I don't know that it, it just not be that missing puzzle piece with everything else. So, uh, you know, what advice would you give to 16 year old Sim? Mm. I would tell 16 year old Sim that there's no trophies for showing up for everybody except yourself. There's, there's nothing rooted. Um, there's no, there's no plaques for self-sacrificing just to show up and not making sure you don't make yourself the main character in your own story. I felt like I experienced the story, but I wasn't the writer of my story. I was the character. And that's because I placed so much of my value in showing up for others and what I could do instead of who I was at the core. Like just being who you are is enough sometimes. I wish I could have told her that. It would have saved me a lot of, a lot of grief. Um, but you know, you figure it out. Do you have like a personal mantra or, or verse or anything that, you know, helps you get through uh, tough times? Hmm. So there is uh, a line in our Holy Scripture, the Guru Granta, that says, basically, it's So you're basically telling God or the, the Most High or whoever you pray to that don't let me see a hard time without seeing the light through it. You know, like lead me through the darkness with the light, even if it's hard, you know? And I tell myself that constantly because my life has not been conventional. It hasn't been this cakewalk, um, but it's allowed me to love harder, to be more present, to give more gratitude, to give people their flowers when they're here and to make those moments matter. And had that not happened, who's to say who I would be and how that would look? Where can people find you? How can they support Mate for the W? Um, y'all can follow us at Mate for the W on IG, M A D E F O R T H E W, um, Mate for the W dot com online. Um, personal handle for me is Sim City, uh, S I M S I T Y. Um, but yeah, that's where we exist, happen and yeah we're here i'm just so thankful to have the conversation I, like i said i was so appreciative that you were willing to hop on um it's not like like i said in a lot of these things i watch the, the moves you you make and it's it's just been impressive to like i said to always be consistent and to always be graceful i think it's, it's an art and i think you do it really well so i just want to say thank you for like mm-hmm. you know just being you i mean like i said you've always been consistent you've always been you and, it, and, and I know you went through some wild stuff and you still just kind of find a way to just pivot. And I think that that's all life is about. And I just want to say thank you. That's all. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's it's definitely mutual. I don't ever want y'all to sell yourself short because you are grateful to have me, but I am privileged to be here. It's an honor. Like what y'all have built and your, you know, your individual stories and collective stories with scholarships and like how you guys have got here. Like these things weren't there. You know, you had to yeah. create that path. You had to see it through because that's not the representation we grew up having. So we had to become what we wanted to see. So salute to both of y'all and thank you guys so much for having me, for real. Always.